Welcome to the That Security Podcast. I'm Ashish Rajan. And I am Ricky Burke. And today we're joined by Adrian Kitto. Um, so uh, we're going to discuss CPS 234. Um, Adrian's put himself up for talking about that. But let's discover who Adrian is. So Adrian, tell us about yourself. Yeah, good day. Um, my name is Adrian. I, I'm a Kiwi, basically moved here to Melbourne about two years ago. I got in New Zealand, I had about 15 years worth of experience in IT and uh, particularly IDEM technologies. Uh, heavy Microsoft background, uh, so do a lot of um, migrations and things like that. Um, ended up working for a bunch of companies like health and utility providers and stuff like that. Uh, and then ended up at a large financial institution who asked me to move, relocate to Australia. And so that's now where I'm done. Uh, over this side. Once I've been on this side of the Tasman, uh, I'm a co-founder and the CTO of a cyber startup uh, we call Detection and we do multi-SAS uh, security uh, posture management. Awesome. I find it funny how you said you're a Kiwi but you started with a good day. <laughs> I thought that was very interesting. So I, I think we're doing a good job of taking the Kiwi out of you. Um, not that it's a bad thing. But <laughs> um, so as you know, the topic today is CPS234. And um, it can be quite technical for a lot of people, but we have a broad audience. So what would you say, what is CPS 234 for you? And why should people, like, why should people talk about it? Actually, funny thing is CPS 234 itself is not technical. It's a very simple set of rules. So, so just jumping back a few years, there was a thing called CPS, C, sorry, CPG 234. So, Cross-industry potential guidelines. Keyword there was guidelines. They only had to follow it if they wanted to, um, and only the big banks and general insurers followed it. Um, wasn't enough. So uh, APRA decided to up it to a standard. So a standard is mandatory. Guideline, guidelines. Man standard, mandatory. So it's cross-industry potential standard. Um, so what is it? Um, it's basically four requirements. That you've got to have a board who is accountable for your information security management. You must have um, a capability to manage information security, like policies, controls, and standards. You must test them systematically, and you must notify APRA if you have a Now, they've got some pretty tight guidelines in there. It's around 10 days. So if you find something wrong in your organization, a control failure, or, um, or a supplier who isn't uh, doing, anything, uh, doing something right, you must notify APRA within 10 days. A massive uplift on the previous guidelines, which you basically got to self-assess if you did it. And the big gotcha and difference with CPS 234 over the guidelines is um, to every race. So, uh, so someone like Combank has several um, subsidiaries uh, uh, and several of the insurers, and also the breadth of people who, are, um, who have got to apply to it now. So all banks, so all retail deposit takers, insurers, all life insurers, all public health funds, um, and the, the big one is all super. Right. Um, sorry. So does that mean if I'm a me, but I don't work with a financial institution, I do not have to worry about CPS 234? This is where I give you the truly bad news. <laughs> um, the last part of CPS 234 is that it is, uh, it, so, so all suppliers who have access to information, uh, information assets on behalf of a regulated entity um, have to have uh, basically commiserate controls and provide systematic testing and assurance of such. As a guesstimate, what numbers would you say in Australia we're we looking at in terms of company size? volume of companies out there that need to be taking this seriously? I'm going to be blunt, every. <laughs> um, 
you will struggle to find a company that touches something that is not in some way a supplier to uh, to a regulated entity. Mum and pop panel shops, medical clinics, uh, anyone who's in the supply chain for, 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 for retail probably are a supplier to an insurance company. It's particularly the insurance companies, the three types of insurance companies, life, uh, general, and um, uh, private health. Okay. Uh, so a good example of that, everyone asks me for use cases, is like you get your car crashed and from the crash someone nicks your stereo from it. So at this point in time, you're gonna have a supplier who's gonna be the panel shop, who's gonna be re repairing it. They're gonna have your customer details, what your home address is, is. And then the, the, the retail, Harvey Norman gets sent a voucher to new car stereo, for example. Uh, so they're supplying to the insurance company. So they're a narrow material supplier with personally identifiable data in the fact that you are my car details. And then it goes off to a, a fitter who has to fit it. They have your personal information as well. So they, there's three different companies there that are touching the information assets of that general insurer. Oh, so everyone, but, and this is why it's important to your point. If I'm a panel beater, I probably don't have a computer system. I probably have a diary that I maintain for people. I probably do a cash in hand. So clearly there, there is some challenges with the regulation being applied to everyone. And being of, being aware is probably another story altogether. My question was going to be more around what are the risks they're facing if they don't go down the path of, go, I guess, addressing a CPS before? Like a panel beater won't have a board trusting if they do, but I'm pretty sure they would not have a board. Just, so just to interject, so if you're a panel beater yeah. in cash, I just want to check, are you paying your taxes appropriately? <laughs> <laughs> Very good question. Uh, probably cash in hand means no no, no taxes, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not promoting it. Yeah, I'm not condoning it, but... There might be someone who might be taking cash in hand and uh, happens to be in a you know in a well developed nation. <laughs> that's yeah, that's their choice. But if the, if they're one of those, uh, what are the choices to do they have? Well, the cash in hand one doesn't really work <laughs> when you're dealing with a regulated entity because they're not gonna they're not not gonna slide a bag of fifties across the table to, to fix Ricky's Mazda. <laughs> No, um, so they're going to have an electronic computer system. Um, is plain and simple. So, 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 like panel beaters and things like that. Most of them use a SaaS platform. Um, uh, uh, there is multiple SaaS platforms like that, and exactly the same in the the medical industry as well. Um, the problem comes about uh, when they fit it in the last mile stuff. So in the repair shop, they print job cards out. They give they give a bit of paper to to, to the boy who's got to go down the road. And, and buy the, the new indicator, for example, for the car, or actually even more so for the medical clinics um, and things like that, when they order like parts for, for, for medical treatments and things like that, a lot of that stuff is serial numbered. So I have a metal brace in my, there's a serial number on it. So somewhere in a, in, a, in a private hospital somewhere, there is a record that one, two, three, four, five is an Adrian Kiddo's right arm. Um, so that is my highly identifying medical data that probably got printed out 20 times because I knew when I was getting my operation there was a big fat file. So what did they do for handling and, and disposal of that information asset and then how are they protecting that information asset afterwards? Um, so that is where even the small people have, have stuff but they also need to have a board of directors. They order, uh, like any business that is a PTY company in Australia and has an ABN has an effective board of directors. Even though they may have never met, they are now responsible and accountable 
for that regulated entity's information assets and providing assurance of the controls that they have in place to protect them. So we're looking at a panel beta who has a solution and a board. Good. Um, and it kind of comes to the point because we mentioned APRA and worth clarifying for people who don't know about APRA or maybe not from Australia listening to this. APRA is the governance, gov governing body which looks after financial institutions in Australia and New Zealand. And New Zealand. So CPS 234 applies it to New Zealand people as well? It does. Oh, so it's an Australia-New Zealand thing. It's not just Australia being focused on it. So, so New Zealand doesn't have a regulatory body for banking licenses and retail deposit takings. So they um, they basically wound it up when Australia Bank in New Zealand, um, and they replaced it with the Securities Commission in New Zealand, which deals with the commodities and the share market and things like oh, that. Right. Um, and then they just went, we'll just take APRAS. So so in APRAS deed of charter is an extension to New Zealand, uh, several of the, the Pacific Islands and things like that as well. So it's a, a case of if. You've got our banks, we'll just follow what you're doing. <laughs> um, just a, a question. So I, different view on things, but from my point of view, I, I recruit in, in the security industry, but I don't concentrate too much on the um, sort of, let's say, governance, risk and compliance side of things. I've got a colleague, Jess, who does that, and she talks about things that I that go over my head. To be honest, I, I live in my technical space of this industry. Um, it, seems, it seems like there's a lot of gray areas at least as far as I can hear, or are things very black and white? What would you, I guess, say in response to that? One of the big problems with prudential standards and most regulation type bodies is they tend to be, you tell us if we're doing a good enough, if you're doing a good enough job, and we'll whip you if you're not. So, so CPS 234 requires the regulated entity to provide assurance that they've got controls in place over the information assets. Doesn't say what the assurance is. So they have to be comfortable. So now the actual, the, the, and it's quite weaselly word, it is they must have controls commiserate with the sensitivity and the criticality of the information asset. So if you break that down a little bit, controls commiserate with the sensitivity. We all kind of know what sensitive data is. It's like my serial number of my arm. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's your, your home address, your tax details and things like that. Criticality is an interesting thing um, from a perspective because that means that if that piece of data isn't actually overly sensitive but it is critical to your business operations, i.e. Um, the general ledger for the last 12 years for your company, you know, you're a publicly registered company, you've released the, the financials onto the market. So it's not sensitive data, but it's critical for you for your future planning and things like that. And if you lost your general ledger, you would not be in a very good uh, shape. So so, so you, need inf you need controls on both for sensitive data, so i.e. your customer's data, and your critical business data. Um, so, and getting back to your point in governance and risk, um, the governance and risk provide the assurance to APRA but the technical guys have to do the control evaluation and the systematic testing. So both parts of the security are basically on a big uplift. And do you think there's, there's some big learning curves for businesses out there or do you think they're ready? There's obviously a deadline approaching um, and in terms of the knock-on effect, how long do you think there could be until there's any serious cases or examples? Because obviously we, last year we were looking at GDPR and there hasn't really been any major um, you know, 
situations fall on the back of that. There's, there's a lot of action, a lot of money spent in security, but I'm not saying everyone's secure now suddenly, mm. but there's no massive breaches where people have, it hasn't cost them their 3% of their global revenues yet, at least as far as I can see. I just wanted to add, add to that. GDPR was there and GDPR actions taken are still being implemented. With CPS234, while you answer that question, if you can also add the bit about there is a deadline approaching. We'll get in the deadline as well. Uh, have you seen anyone implement as well? So while you're talking about actions, if you can talk about if you've seen anyone implement this as well. Yeah, actually, the, probably the key thing there is talking about the deadline. So, so CPS two three four comes into effect for regulated entities and their subsidiaries on the first of July this year. Now, the vast majority of them are not going to be compliant on day one. Um, but they need to have an action plan how they're going to get compliant, which is exactly the same as how GPDR was uh, was implemented in the end. Um, the second uh, date that's coming is, uh, so for suppliers, so that was the entities and their subsidiaries on the 1st of July. Um, so all supplier renewals and new supplier contracts entered into after the 1st of July this year must have commensurate controls uh, with the sensitivity and criticality of the data. Um, and the all suppliers, so including ones who have already got long-term con supplier contracts, um, must be by the 1st of July 2020. So, so there is a transition period there for suppliers. Um, now, you asked me, are people putting stuff into, into place? Uh, yeah, so I work on, I, I talked about my startup before, but I also have a day job in a regulated financial entity. And uh, we have a, um, a CPS 234 program. Um, which is uh, around doing the internal assessment and our supplier assessment. Because we have so many suppliers, doing that many assessments between now and the 1st of July next year, is uh, um, it's just going to be impossible. And the, the last one there, which is that we've got to provide systematic assurance and evidence of it. So for the critical suppliers, we need to do them every year. So if we do them now, we need to do them again in a year's time. So, so this is not a one-time piece of work. This is going to be going on forever. And what I often say to people is, um, and I'm poaching the words from a, a workmate, is um, your ticket to the game in the new world is going to be third-party audit or assurance. So you're going to need an ISO 27001 certification, maybe a SOC Type 2 um, report if, you, if you're dealing with sensitive data, um, and you're going to have to pay external auditors to provide that assurance. Because if you were someone like I say a medical clinic, um, you may supply to fifteen or twenty different private medical uh, insurers. So, if you were to then answer their questions fifteen or twenty times, think of the cost on your business mm. versus getting KPMG, getting EY in, or even ISO consultants from here in Melbourne um, in to do your one-time audit and then do your systematic reassurance on top of that, so that when all these CPS23 programs, assurance and reassurance programs come through, and there is a lot of them out there going on at the moment, um, uh, come through, you can just provide them a third party audit report. So I say, yeah, ticket to the game. So ticket to the game, but do you get coached to get to the game? I guess that's, for, so to your point, you deal with a lot of suppliers, and a lot of suppliers may not really have the necessary resources as a big organization, like a financial organization, which regularly deals with APRA every year, suppliers probably are faced with the problem that, oh, I need to have this, this compliance bit looked at. Then they're being thrown in the CPS 234 landmark, which to your point, it's maybe four, but it's important because we're closing to the deadline. 
is there any support being provided either by APRA or any, I guess, governing body? Because it's easier for us to come out with rules, but is there any support for how, they, how smaller players can implement these controls? There's a, um, there's a set of rules called the information, Australian Information Security Manual. <laughs> 264 pages. <laughs> That's government support. Um, no, there's actually whole companies being stood up to, to help people with this organ this stuff. Um, so I know over in the medical sector there is a there's a company a new company that's doing a lot of CPS two three four like uh, assurance uh, and, and assessment stuff. Um, uh, there's a company based in the SciRise program as well called Cinch. They're doing digital fitness for for small businesses um, and the cyber fitness. Uh, so they're doing that. They're going to help people uplift and understand that they have an information security management uh, program. Uh, so there 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 is support happening but again it's more in the this is the cost to supply to a regulated financial entity and the cost of business is going up now who's going to pay for this is going to be the really interesting question so so i uh would be intrigued to know what someone like Booper are doing. I do not know in any way Booper or anything like that, but they are a reasonably large medical, probably the largest medical um, uh, uh, private health insurer, um, and they have their own clinics and things like that. So what are they doing for, 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 for like the small dentists and things like that? Are, are they just getting the answer from the small dentistry places going, yeah, I'm just not going to supply to you guys anymore? Or are those people, those dentists, so ingrained in their business that they have to... To, to, to pay for some sort of uh, supply contract and things like that. So that's going to be the interesting thing. So so will we see actions? Yes, some businesses are going to lose their contracts over this. Uh, I already know of one business out there that is, uh, has, has gone, I'm actually just not going to supply you services anymore. But it was actually the other way around, was the, the supplier um, sort of went, I can't meet these requirements. You're asking me too much. You're worth such a small percentage of my business, uh, over total business. I'm going to take the hit and I'm not going to renew the contract. Put it out to RFP. So I guess to your point, it's not enough support, but there is some support. Why should people care about this right now? Like what, what's the urge, sense of urgency to you mentioned deadline? What is the deadline? If I'm listening to this for the first time, um, say I'm already from Bupa. By the way, if you are guys are from Bupa, if you want to leave a comment on how you're solving CPS 234, welcome to do that. If I am putting CPS 234 right now, or if I have thought about it, I've heard about this for the first time here, what's the deadline? Why should I care right now? So. It depends if you're a regulated entity. I would hope if you're a regulated entity yourself, you guys have been made well aware of this in October when it came out. And you should be taking action already. already. If you haven't, if you haven't heard about it, what's the deadline? Why do I care? So the deadline is uh, 24 days away. Is, <laughs> 1st of July. 1st of July for regulated entities. And, and their subsidiaries. And the subsidiaries. Yeah, the, the the ones who won't know about this is the suppliers. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's they uh, so so they will they they've got no idea what's coming. And to be honest, a lot of the like the super funds and the smaller um, uh, credit unions and things like that, they have been really dragging their heels uh, on their own programs internally, and therefore the um, the going out the the front door. As I said at, right at the very start, the big banks 
and the general insurers, they fronted this really, really well. Uh, they, they, they looked at it in October and went, we need to stand up internal programs, we need to start the supplier due diligence. Um, for our big suppliers, we're gonna do this twice because it's gonna be twice in two years um, and, and they're gonna learn along the way with us. Um, great, that's achieved the goal. But the goal is not just the four big banks and the four big general insurers, it is all regulated entities and it's particularly their suppliers. So if you were a supplier of say, um, of dentistry to Booper, I'm just gonna, sorry Booper, nothing against you guys, I use you myself. Um, uh, <laughs> um, if you're a supplier of a dentistry services to Booper and you get one or two patients a month, it's gonna come out of left field at you and they go, hey guys, before we sign your five-year renewal, we need you to talk about this stuff. Can you tell us how you, like, what your information management control, how do you deal with patient records? Like, you know, here's an auditor from KPMG. Go and talk to them. Obviously, the numbers can be, can range, but to give maybe especially smaller businesses an idea, what what is the rough cost to try and actually help a company do that or get them in line with, with those regulations? This, this is the typical, when you ask an architect, you'd ask three more questions back. Um, answer, it depends. Uh, it depends on what, remember the wording there was, you must have controls commiserate with the sensitivity and criticality of the information asset. So if you've got PII, like just say, that, that use case, you're installing stereos that got ripped off out of cars. You've got a pretty low level of sensitive data there. You've got a name, phone number, and that they got a stereo, uh, and things like that. You don't need a lot. You can just say, hey, we put it in the document destruction bill, we, we get recalled to come in once a month. Done. That's probably enough, and you can probably sell for sure in that particular case. Um, but if you're doing dental work on people, or you're, um, can you imagine a medical clinic that treats STDs? That's the one that I, that I always use. I, I get that look from, from people whenever I use that one. So you're a medical clinic that treats, treats STDs. Um, that people would consider people to be the, the most highly identifying data. You're going to have to have a comprehensive externally audited um, program of information security management. Now, you're probably not gonna need to go to the big four. Would an ISO certification from a big four would be 100 grand, um, uh, uh, which, which obviously is out of the league for a medical clinic. But you're going to be talking to, talking to someone like ISO 27001 consultants from here and, or ISO consultants and things like that. And I, I, I don't know, but I can't imagine that those guys are going to sell for any 10 to 15 grand probably realistically. Um, so, it, yeah, it depends on what data you have. Um, I think we've um, covered one side of CPS234, which is going through the, I guess, the main points that people should be aware of, who should be aware of, and whether people are implementing. The other side, uh, we've kind of covered the cost as well now. Is there uh, something that you should probably, in, if you were to give it a priority order or probably like an easy win, is there a thing which, is, which, which could be an easy win in that space? Or, um, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, there's a real easy win here. Have an, a board accountable security policy. So get a proper security policy written up, have all your staff criminal background checked. Like, you know, just good company hygiene stuff um, and, and things like that. So, 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 and you can buy them as a pretty standard, like, you know, employee agreements uh, uh, and, and, and things like that. So data handling policies. So get some policies going and actually prove that they're working um, and things like that. So this is stuff that's not expensive to, to, to do. You can buy some canned policies, 
and uh, or even better if you've got an HR system they've probably got policies built into them print them out get people to read them sign them acknowledge them and things like that and then go around once a month and check that they're doing them uh, and things like that so if you've got assurance you can say yes I've got a data handling policy. Yes, here's my evidence log of the recall guys coming to destroy that document destruction bin and things like that. So this is stuff that is not expensive, but when you need to, like, if you need to do it in a very short time frame, uh, it is very expensive because you're going to have to hire external consultants or stop your business development personally. So, would I be right in saying, and this is kind of coming from a personal note because I, I kind of want to say that. Security is just not a security people thing. If you're a small to medium-sized business and you may necessarily not have a security person, but if you say go ahead to the market, buy one of these policies, as long as you put a security hat, if this is what I'm trying to protect, how would I go through these policies? You should be in a fairly safe state to have a conversation with an auditor on what you're doing about, to your point about the easy wins. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's exactly what I was meaning by that. Um, and the, the key thing is, is that is classifying your data as well. From um, So knowing what your sensitive data is, knowing what your business critical data is, knowing what your customer's business critical data is. Like, I've done audit before, and I've sat there opposite a business owner and gone, so what's your customer data? Uh, all of it? And I'm like, cool, so that server that's plugged in just sitting there on the corner, what's that holding? <laughs> and then when, when we get two hours into the conversation, it turns out that there's not a single piece of customer data on that server that's sitting in the corner. Um, and in reality, everything is stored in their SaaS solution, which has got good controls and things like that. So, so identify your data, classify your data, and have policies would be my three things. And I guess in terms of past and looking forward, um, again, Many businesses, the, the big enterprises, the big banks, they'll be well in truly looking to uh, be ready for that deadline. But do you think the communication to maybe small to medium businesses, how do you think that looks? And is it, it's hard, again, if you don't know, you don't know. Um, and that, is it being communicated well by the, the big businesses out there? Or is it literally down to those small to medium businesses to figure out themselves from what you've seen or heard? Everything I've seen so far has been that nothing, no one's looking at the small businesses yet because it's 1st of July. It's, you know, everyone's looking at their own houses right now and their subsidiaries particularly. Um, and the, as I said originally, the, like the, the, the mid-tier credit unions and things like that, a lot of them only kicked their programs off. I heard of one that only been kicked off a few weeks ago. Um, and so this is not new stuff. Like the regulated financial entities, the ones who it actually applies to, were all notified in October. Um, so whether or not somebody never read that notifications, whether or not some of these regulated credit unions, by the way, are not even big enough to have a security person themselves. Like like a super fund, for example, maybe four or five people. There's no one. There's not even an IT guy. You know, they get a man in a van uh, for their IT and everything's SAS. You know, we're good, right? I like that <laughs> <laughs> Um So so they and so. Even them just doing their own house is, has been a bigger uh, undertaking. And, they, and then, by, but they haven't even started to look out at their suppliers and things like that. So no, there has been no communications out to the things. Now, some of the big boy consulting firms, KPMG and EY, have both done conversations on CPS234, uh, like webinars and things like that. Um, there was a, a, a series of panels done in Sydney a couple of weeks ago. Um, the insurance brokers 
their annual conference or something like that had a half day workshop on it in February. Um, so so the, the, the story is starting to get out there, but the transition period is going to be long. And the key thing is you don't have to be compliant on one day one. You just must have an action plan. So if somebody only finds out in May next year they need to have this by July next year, they're going to they're gonna panic. Um, and when they're done panicking, they're going to have to build an action plan and then submit it to their, who they're a supplier to. Um, I think uh, one question, and I think this is kind of a good breadth of coverage for CPS234 without going into way too much detail. Um, obviously, if people have questions and they want to reach out to you or um, talk more about it, but towards the end, basically, we loved. We should have done this in the beginning, but we're doing it now. What security resources do you go to get your security lowdown for people who are either from a non-security space and want to know where do you get your security needs from? Where do we? Where can they find more about CPS two three four? And yeah, I'll, I'll start with that first. Uh, CPS two three four. Um, so both EY and KPMG have webinars on their website, the Australian websites. Free, free webinars. I believe so. Yeah. yeah, I didn't have to pay to watch them. And so so they're good. Um, I believe the slide deck for the for the insurance brokers is available on their conference website. It was up in the Gold Coast or Sunshine Coast um, in February. Uh, as to where do I get my security stuff? <laughs> As to where do I get my security stuff? Um, I can do mostly podcasts. Uh, so the, the the two that I listen to the most is Risky Business um, with Patrick and Adam, uh, and the, I've just started listening to Down the Security Rabbit Hole. Literally in the I've, I'm like I started at the first of January this year. Uh, listening to the first of January is when I found it a couple of weeks ago. So um, my preferred medium of uh, consuming media is podcasts. Bit of a s slightly different topic, but again, there's there's going to be a mixture, hopefully, of listeners out there, and especially people that are maybe looking to get into security. And th this is a vast space. I think people fail to realise that how how deep and how wide this this industry is sometimes. And I'll have conversations where people are just saying, "I just want to foot in the door," but they people get hired based on what they have to offer, their attitude, their ambitions. They need to know at least something. Um, I guess what would be your recommendations in terms of where the industry is growing, going, what sort of skill sets, where can someone start in your opinion, um, if they can maybe specialize? Again, we'll all have our own biases, but what, what would be, I guess, your opinion to maybe anyone looking to start out in the next two, three years? I'd start by reading the CISP eight domains of security and working out which one resonates with you the best. Don't become a cryptographer. Um, uh, cryptography in that exam <laughs> um, uh, so yeah so there's eight domains of security that they they there so so I started out saying earlier on that I was an identity or an IDAM guy that's one of the domains um, there's response detection and response so being CDAR type technologies um, there is governance so which this is there's assurance audit and assurance go together so there's lots of domains there look at what you're doing and then see if any of it fits in underneath that and then read out further on that and work out whether or not that's what you're interested the sexy part of, of security is obviously pen testing, but it's actually kind of small. Yeah, like <laughs> like I, I, I know that we have 90 or 100 security people inside the organization, and we have four pen testers. So it, it is a competitive market um, and things like that. And like the best pen testers are phenomenal, like Adam from um, Risky Business, for example. 
Um, but uh, there is a big market for particularly assurance and audit people. And I've been saying a lot this year is assurance is going to be the word of the year for 2019. Uh, so if you like, if I was recommending someone and nobody ever wants this, get a clipboard, become an auditor, become an insurance assurance person. Uh, it's, not, it's not a bad thing as well to be an auditor because you get an overall picture of why security is important, why certain controls exist. Like I think from to your point about APRA and CPS 234, um, the main job of an auditor would be to find out how how what the security posture of an organization is. Why that why does that control list, even though it may be as something that you start off with, but it's a good one to get an overall picture of an organization from a security standpoint. Is that a fair statement? Um, I think the only thing I would probably add to that, and I think a lot of people have started doing this already, where they started attending meetups. You and I have our own meetups. Uh, but it's it's kind of becoming a thing where I see a lot of students, a lot of people trying to get into security, are being asked by their universities to come and talk, or at least hear what people are talking about meetups. So to your point about eight domains, um, if you can't go do that much and spend time reading that thick-ass book from SIS. No, I was going to read the introduction chapter. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Specifically, just read the introduction chapter of that thick-ass book. Um, the the other thing you could do is probably attend meetups, talk to other security guys. I think LinkedIn is a pretty good resource as well, just to talk out to people, reach out to people. Most of the people are nice in security. You and I are nice people. This guy is nice as well. Um, I think that's pretty much the, uh, I, I guess, the only thing I'll add to that, I guess that's pretty much it. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's good. And I, I think in addition to that, I think if, if someone's already taking the time to figure out the different areas of security, because one, one of the things I come up against with people and I try and push them is try and find a direction. Um, because again, company, companies will hire you based on what you have to offer. Um, so again, security is a broad space. It's it's fast, you know, and, and every sort of role, every different area, different skills, different personality types. Um, but the big things or, or I guess common denominators across all of them, companies want to see people that are curious and self-learners. Yeah. Um, always back up your supposed passion with stuff that you do outside of studies, outside of work, um, I, th I think is really key. Yeah, cool. Um, I think the only other question, and this is switching back to non-technical again, What's the book that you have gifted to someone either recently or is do you, are you into reading books at all? Awesome. I was, I was like, is that question even relevant? Um, keen to know, uh, is there a security book that you have, a security and a non-security book you would have given to someone and why? Oh, security. I gave away my training guide for SIS. <laughs> <laughs> the most security thing possible is I'm going to give you a manual. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I can't say I've ever given a security book to anyone, uh, aside from I, training guys. That's a good sign, yes, that's a good sign. Yeah. Um, What's a non-security book that you gave away? Uh, I, I, I've given it away a few different times. Um, a Fool by Randomness, it's a book on mathematics and about how humans discuss, uh, deal with, um, dealing with large number randomizations. So something happened nine times in a row, why would it happen a tenth? Well, that is just variance, for example. I, I played poker for a long time. And it's it's like one of the the Bible books for for, for poker players is full by randomness, and so yeah, and I highly recommend it for a read, and it applies to security because one of the key things with security is you're not going to win all the time. Yes, we always have to fight our battles irrespective of the field. And I, and I think on that note, I think uh, that's a good good summary for now, and obviously yeah. a good chance for people to try and start figuring out what CPS 234 is and uh, start doing their own homework. Yeah, I mean, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. Thanks. Thanks.
Thanks, Adrian.